0: The following sermon was delivered at the 1030 Worship Service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy! In May of this year, our United States Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, you may know, issued an advisory on the healing effects of social connection and community. That advisory was prompted, conversely, by increasing evidence that more and more of us are lonely and disconnected. Despite the facade of community sold to us by so much social media, half of all adults in the United States, one in two, half of all adults in the United States reported experiencing loneliness before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Before so many of our in-person interactions were disrupted, before that pandemic ever began, and certainly growing ever since, there has been this other pandemic of isolation and loneliness. Loneliness, Dr. Murthy wrote in the advisory, loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. And, Dr. Murphy went on, the harmful consequences of a society that lacks social connection can be felt in our schools, workplaces, and civic organizations where performance, productivity, and engagement all are diminished. You see, what the field of medicine now is realizing increasingly is what our faith tradition always has affirmed. And that is this truth, this very simple but profound truth that we need each other. It is community that enables us to be human. It is in community that we become more fully human, only in community that we grow in the Christian life. We need each other. For all sorts of psychological, physical, sociological, and spiritual reasons, we need each other. And yet, strangely, unfortunately, and tragically, we have built much of our culture as though it were otherwise. We have fragmented and divided. We have valued principles of independence, self-reliance, and individual freedoms above nearly everything else. In almost all of our thinking and behaving, the individual rather than the community. The individual is our starting point. So much so, in fact, that even our understandings of church have been distorted by this. Church reduced to a place we go if we choose individually to do so rather than a fellowship, or a family that we are. If that is our mindset, if our mindset is that we are fundamentally autonomous, fundamentally individuals, worlds unto ourselves, well then, today's gospel lesson probably sounds to us like nonsense. But if, on the other hand, we're willing to take a chance on the gospel and acknowledge its truth that we in fact need each other, that we are far more interdependent than we are independent, that we are a communion before we are ever individuals, whereas we are described throughout the New Testament, that we are a body in which every part belongs to every other, well then, Jesus' words today, reveal our way forward. Beloved community, you see, not the individual, But beloved community always is Jesus' starting point and Jesus' goal. Yes, of course, God loves us and relates to us directly and personally, but God always is calling us together. That's why Jesus begins today by addressing us as he does, as siblings, as brothers and sisters. We are family. We are connected. And that reality brings with it then a whole host of consequences. That we are never truly alone, that we are never truly independent, free to choose what we want without regard to the impact of our choices on the lives of others around us. That we don't always get our way, that sometimes we will disagree, sometimes we will bump into each other, even come into conflict with one another, sometimes we will be at odds And so today's gospel, beginning from this perspective that we are family, that we belong to each other and we belong together, today's gospel then, from that perspective, gives us a glimpse of how we might respond. How we can address our conflicts and our divisions. How we can heal those painful moments all too common in our lives when we or anyone else causes harm. Love one another, we're told today in Romans 13. Love one another. That's what we owe each other, living together in this family we call church, in this broader communion we are building together by God's grace, this new creation, this beloved community. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, the Apostle Paul reminds us today, reaching back not only to Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, but, but further back to Leviticus 19. And then there's this additional little clarifier that love does no wrong to a neighbor, love does no harm. And yet, while we are, by God's grace, of course on our way toward perfection in love, the truth is we're not there yet. We don't always love each other well, sometimes, more often than we would like or like to admit, even more often than we realize, both knowingly and unknowingly, we do harm to each other. And not only in our personal interactions either, but there's also the harm we've embedded into our life together. The ways that we privilege as a society, some folks over others. In all these instances, the model Jesus provides today emphasizes the importance of working through our differences and disagreements. Working through them rather than ignoring them. The necessity of, of regular and serious self-examination and society examination so that we can be aware of and then we can address and heal the harm that we do, both to ourselves and to each other. If your sibling sins against you, Jesus says today, don't just sweep it under the rug. Don't pretend that the harm didn't happen or that the harm doesn't matter. Even if you're conflict-averse, go and talk to the person. And if that doesn't work, keep going back, taking more folks with you, more folks with you, doing everything you can to regain that relationship. Because that's the goal of this model that Jesus gives us today. The goal isn't to prove our point or to get even or to punish anyone or even just to win the argument. The goal is to restore the health and the well-being the belovedness of our relationships if you are listened to Jesus says to us you have regained your sibling you have mended the tear in your family now notice also who it is that initiates this healing process in Jesus model it is notably the one who has been harmed which suggests to us at least a couple of things First, it suggests to us that the health of the body or the well-being of the community is more important than my desire for retribution or revenge. If I have been harmed, so long as it is safe for me to do so, I need to go and address the one who has harmed me, for our relationship is more valuable than holding on to my grudges. Second, it suggests that if on the other hand, I am the one who has caused some harm, again, whether knowingly or unknowingly, whether I agree or not, then my role first is to listen humbly, not to get defensive, not to set up all sorts of walls through my excuses and explanations, not to tell you that you're being too sensitive or making something out of nothing. No, my role is to listen and then to join you in restoring, to whatever extent we are able, our relationship and the health of our family. Through all of this, the important thing, according to Jesus, the essential thing is that we keep the conversation going. We speak up and we listen. And if the lines of communication become completely closed off at any point in this process, If either party refuses to participate any further, no matter how many times we go back or how many others we take with us, then Jesus says, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, which is, if you pause to think about it, such a curious and wonderful little phrase. For you might recall, even from a story that we heard together just a couple of weeks ago, the story of Jesus' encounter with the Canaanite woman, you might recall that that Gentiles and tax collectors were specifically outside of Jesus' community. And so hearing that phrase today, we might be tempted to think Jesus is giving us a, a pass here. That Jesus is giving us permission to exclude from our lives those with whom we disagree, those who have harmed us. They're outside the bounds, Jesus seems to be saying. We don't need to concern ourselves with them anymore. But then, of course, we might recall how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors, especially after his encounter with that Canaanite woman. Over and over again in the stories of his life, we find that he welcomed outsiders that he broke bread with those who were disconnected, that he connected with those who were lonely, that he visited and told us to go and visit those who were isolated. In fact, even the name of this gospel reminds us of this, a gospel named for Matthew, the disciple called by Jesus to come follow, to come be a part of the family while he was working as a tax collector. Consistently, Jesus includes folks considered to be outside the reach of God's grace. Rather than exclude them, Jesus sought them and listened to them and spoke with them and healed them, ensuring in whatever ways that he could, they knew that they were welcomed and loved, doing whatever he could to restore them to the fold, to bring them back into the family, into relationship with the community and with God. And so that, that becomes the context for Jesus' instructions here, to treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors. And so, if we ourselves have been harmed, we must name that harm to whatever degree possible in the presence of the one who caused that harm. We must speak with them, taking others with us, not to shame the one who caused the harm, but because the whole community is affected by any rift between us. And then we must do what we can to be restored. And if someone, or a whole movement of someone's, or even if the earth itself tells us about the harm that they have experienced or are experiencing, the harm we have caused or participated in, then by God's grace, may we have enough courage to listen, to open ourselves, even if it's hard, even if it's uncomfortable, even if we don't agree. May we listen for the sake of Christ's body, our family. For as we read today, we owe that to each other We are obligated to love each other well, to be honest with each other, to speak in love the truth. Now, this isn't a call for us to be the morality police, to go running around pointing out all the specks in other people's eyes. No, this is a call for us to care for our communion and to honor the truth of our connection. For where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I am there among them. It's a verse we love and that we tend to pull out of its context, to think that just any old gathering will do. And yet there is something quite specific going on here. For Jesus' promise to be among us isn't just in our hanging out, just in our being together, just in our sitting around watching the Browns game together. It is in our willingness to love. It is in our practice of reaching across the aisle, and listening and really hearing and having hard conversations. It's in our practice of hanging in together, even when we harm one another, hanging in and healing for the sake of the relationship. It's in that, it's in that quite specifically, in that ministry of reconciliation, it's in that listening and speaking across our differences, it's in that that Jesus is among us. Because Jesus knows we need each other. Jesus knows we are more human together. We are disciples together. And none of us can do it alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent sermon podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.com.